morning. It's a pleasure to be with you. During that song, I thought of this verse. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. Did you feel wet after that song? <laughs> um, song from the sea, right? Actually, the children's story, I think, ties right in with what we're talking about today as well. Uh, in God's Word is everything that the Word contains, right? And God's promises are, are basically statements where He says, I will do this. But He also has other things in His Word beside what He will do. His Word also contains what we're to do. So it can be promises or commands. Both of them are statements of what will be. And the only thing that will prevent that from, from actually coming to pass is what? Our unbelief. Our unbelief will block his faith. It will not be without effect, but it cannot accomplish everything that he wants it to accomplish. This weekend we're looking at our identity in Christ, finding a purpose in Him. In our first study together, we were considering Christ's identity, Jesus' identity, and the purpose that He had in that identity. We looked at quite a few texts. We're going to continue to explore those Bible texts with you and find from His identity our identity. That's our theme. And our last study will be how our identity in Him then provides us purpose. Just by way of review, Jesus is who? He's the Son of God. And what does the idea of Son entail? We should be familiar with with what son means. It means family. Right. It means a relationship that we understand as family. God helped us to understand that from the very beginning of the human race. Correct? He established in the very beginning. Two people in his image in relationship. And what was to define the relationship? What is the essence of God's image? It's the statement that John makes, God is love. What type of love? The love that is not seeking her own. Did you catch it in the scripture reading? Christ says very plainly, I do nothing of myself. It's an unselfish love. And it is a love that is enduring, does not fail. And the Bible has a special word that it used to describe that, which is the word covenant. It's a covenant love. It's what family is about. That's what relationship is about. That's what God's love is about. 
It is the covenant love. And so the word son implies that very thing. That God would give. That God would so love the world that he would give. And what would he give? His only begotten son. The one who was in this unique relationship with him. There was no one else like that to give. And so he gave, he gave the best that he had. That's what son means. That provides Jesus with, with his identity. That's why as we considered the experience of the cross this morning, the events that led into the cross, and the cross itself was so horrific for him. Because what was happening in that experience? There was a coming apart of that relationship. There was a separation taking place. And what did it mean for him? It meant the end, right? But it wasn't the end of his love. It meant he would love to the end. Or as Paul says in Philippians 2, he would be obedient unto death. Even the death of the cross. Even if I can't see him, if I can't sense him, if I can't feel he's here, I will keep talking with him. I will keep addressing him. I will endure by faith, which is how Jesus had to to endure. As our scripture said, when he would be lifted up, then would be the greatest evidence that they would know his identity. Did you catch that in the verse? John 8, verse 30, 28. Then you will know that I am. Then you will know that I am. And I do nothing of myself. As the Father has taught me, I speak these things. He that sent me is with me. How did he know he was with him? Did he have his word? He grew up with the word. We don't know that he had any audible word until the baptism. At the baptism, what was the word? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And that was repeated again during his ministry. He had the word. And in the midst of the cross experience, when he was being lifted up, he didn't feel it. But he still could hang on to that word. The word was still in his memory. He did not want to have anything that would interfere with his ability to remember that. And so he continued to hang on. The Father has not left me. What's the next word? Alone. I always do the things that please him. And what happened as he spoke those words? What does the next verse say? Somehow, faith begat faith. And a miracle occurred because it says many, as he spake these words, many believed on him. What a, what a witness. He's just speaking about it, and they're believing him. And then he says to those that believed on him, what, was the, what were the next things that he said? 
He gave him his word, and they accepted it. They believed it. But they had just begun. And what was his, what was his words to him in verse 31? You have to continue. You have to abide in my word. Then you're my disciples indeed. You don't just start to believe me at every step along the way. You hang on to that word, right? Whether it's a promise, whether it's a command, you hang on to the word. Because that is the identity that I'm giving you. By the way, as we considered the acorn in the children's story, what is it that gives an acorn the identity of an oak? What's in the seed? Your identity is there, right? It's the DNA. It's, it's your identity. If you continue in my word, you're my disciples indeed, because you will be discipled, right? You will be disciplined. Uh, as you struggle with hanging on to the word, what do we call that, that fight? The fight of faith. In Hebrews, the passage that talks about coming to the throne of grace to find help in time of need. What's our greatest need? When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Our greatest need is faith. Read about it in Hebrews. That's what he's been talking about. The previous chapters were building the foundations of Christ's identity, his divinity, his humanity. And then he talked about the children of Israel. What was their greatest struggle? They were not able to enter in because of unbelief. That's our, that's our constant need. So we come to the throne of grace to find grace and mercy to help in the time of our unbelief. And you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. Free from what? The Jews thought he was talking about history or politics or something, right? And they started talking about Abraham and their history. Uh, I'm not sure they got the history right, but Jesus went right to the heart of the issue. What is the issue about freedom? Whoever sins is the slave of sin. He's talking about the ultimate freedom, the freedom that is your identity, right? Who are you? When you are tempted to sin, who are you? Who do you believe you are? Maybe that's the thing that makes the difference. Well, was Jesus being tempted? Amazing stories. I mean, we can go through and look at the gospel from that angle, the temptations of Jesus. And we have some very clear stories about explicit times that he was tempted. We have the very words that are, that are used to tempt him. And as we noticed in our last study, those words were often prefaced by, if you be. Temptations based on your identity, but very subtle temptations. And the subtlety continues in our day. Have you experienced it? I was looking at some of the commentaries on, on those temptations, and it was, the commentator was saying, you know, this is amazing. 
if God, who's manifest in the flesh, could be tempted, what does that teach us? Well, I would say it teaches us the importance of our identity and knowing who we are based on what? On His Word. Not on the circumstances that we find ourselves in, not even on what we feel inside. Are feelings safe to go on? No. Feelings are, are actually a mixed bag. God created feelings, and they have a, a very, very vital purpose. But feelings often go with the circumstances that are around us. And the feelings we'll experience will be as mixed up as our identity is. And our study hopefully will, will lead us to see that at some point this morning too. So Jesus is the Son of God. This covenant that His very identity is wrapped up with is tied with the fact that His purpose of His mission was to come and, and do something. What was it? To do away with everything that the Old Testament had written in the promises and the commands or to do something different? To actually fulfill them. That's why the statement is quite clear. In Him, all of the promises of God are what? Yea and amen. Amen is just another way of saying, I believe it. We see a human being living based on those promises. Yea and amen. Fulfilling the covenant promises where every other human being had failed. Abraham, David. He's coming down, the son of Abraham, the son of David. And what is he, what is he doing? He's fulfilling the covenant. The covenant of everlasting love to us. Also, he says there in that verse, did you notice it in verse 28? When you lift up the Son of Man, you will know that I am. That's what it says in the original. It doesn't say I am He. It says I am. And this theme continues throughout the rest of this chapter to its climax in verse 58. Before Abraham was, I am. That is his identity. He's not just the Son of God coming down to succeed where we failed in our humanity. He is, as he said to Mary and Martha there in John 11, as their brother was dead in the grave, I am what? The resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. In Christ was life original, unborrowed, and underived. He was the self-existent Son of God, one from eternity with the Father. And out of that self-existence, He's life, right? And so that not just provides us identity, we're, we're creatures of His hand. We have life because He has given us life. Um, we also find hope in the midst of the opposite of life, which is 
we're caught in a land of sin and death, right? And we find hope there because he is life. This is why it says very plainly that he has brought to us, earlier in John he said to Nicodemus, I, the son of man, did not come into the world to condemn the world but that the world through him might have life. That was the passage in the children's story. We are alive because of what? Because of him. Even though we're sinners and deserve death, what do we have? We have life. Is he just in giving us that life? That's what Paul addresses as he struggles with those identities in Romans 5. Because we have not just our identity in Christ. Who else do we have our identity in? Another father, right? A father who brought sin and death into the world. And if it weren't for Jesus and what he's accomplished, we have nothing but sin and death. Guilt in the sentence of death. That's all we receive from the first Adam. But because of the second Adam, God can be just and justify the sinner, the one who deserves death. And so he's our justification. Our life is justified. Our very existence has a reason. And it's all based on who he is and what he's done. On his love that believes all things as we were studying with Dee this morning. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Why was that? Because he's the one that came from the Father. He had this unique relationship, and it says very plainly that he was in the bosom of the Father. And no one knows the Father but the Son and the one to whom the Son reveals him. So again, if we're wanting to know who Christ is, and through his identity, finding our identity, where do we, what do we do? We do what Mary did. We sit at his feet, and we listen. And we find out not only who he is, but we find out who we are as well. Also, Jesus' identity was Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the anointed one. Um, what a picture, someone who's been anointed by God. In his experience in Luke chapter 4, where he's starting out where he grew up there in, in Nazareth, and in the synagogue, he reads from the prophet Isaiah. Luke 4, verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me. There he is to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives. Now I know what they're captive to based on his conversation in John chapter 8. And the recovering of sight to the blind, <clears throat> to set at liberty those that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. There's his identity, the anointed one, but do you see it's also his mission, his purpose? Might that be speaking to us, our identity and our purpose? 
Do we also have a work to do of preaching the gospel? Healing the brokenhearted, preaching deliverance, recovering of sight to the blind. I once was blind, but now I see. Um, Laodicea has received the ISAB. Huh? What a lesson we need at this time to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. He's the anointed one. Also, he is Yeshua. He's Jehovah, our salvation. That's his identity. He's Emmanuel. He's not remote, removed. He's with us, right? David says, where can I go? And you're not there. Very, very clear that he wants to be close to us. In his purpose in removing our bondage to sin is to enable that to happen. If he did not do that, what would happen to us? What is God to sin? We look at the cross to see that, right? We look at the cross to see how God feels about sin. If with his own son he had to remove, what was it, separating the beams of light, of love, and of glory. We have the idea that light has beams. Did you know love has beams? Glory, we sort of understand how glory has beams, but love has beams, and he's separating those beams from his son. Why? He was being made to be sin for us. It wasn't for anything he did. It was for us. He's identifying with us. And that identity continues. Because sin continues, right? And we must have a sin bearer. Otherwise, we would be crushed under the load that that brings. And we do have Emmanuel, God, with us. He's the king. Of all the pictures that we need to understand this is one of the ones that we really need to grasp. What type of king is he? We look at Earth's history. There's a lot of kings, right? A lot of kings, but what type of king is he? What does his authority rest upon? How is it true that the government can be on his shoulders and that his kingdom will last forever? How does he exercise that authority? How in the world will his government never, never come to an end? Every other government that we've known as human beings has passed, passed away. And I, I feel impelled to say that as Americans, we have an idea somehow that America can last forever. Read the prophecies. Read the history. It's impossible. But how is it that God's kingdom can do that? What type of authority does he have? The final message to go to the world, Revelation 18. The angel whose glory fills the whole earth is an angel who has great authority. Because it's a, it's a message that's preparing people for God's kingdom that will last forever. What is the authority in that kingdom? 
And how does it last forever? What type of king is he? He's a lamb. In the midst of the throne, Revelation chapter 5, in the midst of the throne, what did John see? As a lamb as it had been slain. Standing. So he's the resurrected, crucified Christ. And he's there in the midst of the throne, the only one that is worthy to deal with the mess of sin. He's the only one worthy to open the books on sin, to open your books, right? To reveal you to you. If you didn't know who he was, if you don't know who he was, you're still not going to be able to allow him to do that. But as you get to know who he is, then you're, you're able to say, show me myself. Is that a necessary request that we must make to God? Show me myself. As the song says, show me myself and show me my Savior. And make the book live to me. That's what we have. That's the preparation work that we must have at this time. Also, he is the highest, right? But he's also the lowest. And that's why, as we said in our previous study, when he was talking in Matthew 11 about John the Baptist, he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John. And we should know who the least is in the kingdom of heaven. In that kingdom, who has, who has humbled himself the farthest? It was the one who was the highest, right? And he's the greatest because of that. We do not understand greatness as we should. We've grown up in a culture, in a society that has greatness upside down. We immerse ourselves in activities from academia to athletics that are totally upside down. And we do not understand what greatness is. But our identity is wrapped up in that because that's his identity. He's the light, he's the bread, he's the door, he's the shepherd. All of these images, all of these metaphors are to teach us something essential about Jesus Christ. In him is no darkness at all. What is light? It is a, a manifestation of physics that demonstrates the principle of giving. Because if there's no giving, there's no light. So when it says in him is no darkness at all, it means in him there is no absence of giving. He's the great giver, as Desire of Ages, page 21, so beautifully describes him. The great giver. God so loved the world that he gave. And that's the picture, that's his identity. And as that type of giver, he's the king, he's the shepherd. Um, you remember the story of Moses? Moses was set to be a deliverer, but he was trained as an Egyptian king, right? First 40 years of his life, in a sense. And then he had to go learn how to be a shepherd king. How to lead and not to drive. Do you know how to be a spiritual leader? You don't drive spirits, you lead them. 
Um, and so Moses had to learn that. And interestingly enough, the next 40 years of his life, he's unlearning a lot of lessons he learned the first 40 years. In the next 40 years of his life, the third 40 years, what was he doing? He was leading. He was shepherding a group of unruly sheep. And how fast did they go? They went as fast as the slowest one, as I perceive, right? And sometimes they had to pick up the lambs in their arms and carry them. But there's the picture. And we don't see the real Moses during those 40 years, except one time. By the real Moses, I mean the, the Moses in his humanity. It was hidden in Christ. Except one time, and what happens? Shall we bring water out of the rock? And there, there's the Moses that was hidden. Um, that's why he was the meekest man, because he was, self was, was, was gone. He had no need to justify himself. God was his justification. And yet we see that one slip, and God says, uh-oh, you didn't represent my meekness. And there must be a lesson from that for us, too. So he is our shepherd. He's the second Adam, right? When Isaiah prophesied his coming, he said, unto, unto us a son is born. And a child is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And his name shall be called Wonderful. What are the other labels? Counselor. The mighty God. The everlasting Father. The everlasting Father. These terms are terms that describe relationships. And if we, if the Father had come to earth rather than the Son, what would we have seen? The same relationships, right? The same. He's the everlasting Father. Don't become confused and think that there's no difference between the Father and the Son, because then you destroy the atonement. Because they could not be separated at the cross had they not been two distinct divine beings. But the, the, the words that are used to describe them, from father to son to whatever else, it's describing, it's describing the essence of their character. The nature of their character which has been revealed to us. The nature of their being has not been revealed to us. Other than they are individual, they are eternal but these other words, beautiful words, um, contain the essential knowledge that we must learn about who they are. It's essential because it's our identity as well. It provides us our identity, which is what we're studying this weekend. He is the Son of God, the Father, and that relational term we find our identity. Romans chapter 8. Romans 8 says very plainly, the Spirit testifies with our spirit, and what is his testimony? Verse 16 of chapter 8 of Romans, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There's your identity. 
And if you're children, verse 17, you're then what? Heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. What has Christ inherited? He has everything the Father has, right? That's what a son inherits. He inherits what the Father has. So that it's using human language here to describe these relationships and the astounding reality of who we are. Joint heirs with Christ. We get to Revelation, where is he inviting us to sit? With him on his throne. He told the, the disciples, you will sit on thrones. That's after they learn how to be as unselfish as he was, right? You don't put anybody on the throne unless you want some type of negative consequence. Woe unto you, land, when your king is a child. You don't give a child the responsibilities of an adult because of their immaturity and the fact that they have not yet learned how to be unselfish and safe for those that they have been given responsibilities over. So what about our identity? Um, this passage is a beautiful one. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 20. Um, we mentioned it. Here's the actual verse. For all the promises in him are yea and in him, amen, unto the glory of God. What's the last two words? By us. That identity that he has, the fulfillment of the promises of God, It's unto the glory of God by us. Right? When Christ said he was the light of the world, he also said to his followers, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine, be as generous and as giving as I am, that men may see what? Your good works. And glorify who? Your Father, which is in heaven. If they see your good works, who will they want to glorify? The natural human response is to, to glorify the person who's doing the good works. But what will you do when they try to do that? It's not me. If you see anything good in me, it's not me. Right? The promises of God in him are yea, and in him amen, unto the glory of God by us. Um, again, the final messages that go to the world are messages that call the world to do what? Fear God and give glory to him, giving him the praise and all the glory. This is our identity. <clears throat> I am the resurrection and the life. Romans 4.25, his resurrection is evidence for us that he succeeded in his death in dealing with our sin. He was raised on account of our justification. 5.18 says, as we received in that first Adam condemnation and death, so we received in the second Adam all men the justification of life. 
and also 2 Corinthians 5. We won't take time to turn there, but you know the passage. When one died for all, all died. That those who live, who's, who's living? Everybody who's alive. Those who live should no longer live for themselves. There's the principle of unselfish love again. But for him who died for them and rose again. And it's because of that, Paul says, we don't, we don't know anyone according to the flesh. That means we have new eyes. We, look, we have the eyes of faith that we're able to see everyone as God plans for them to be. Have you learned that? You can't do that in your own power. You have no ability to see what other people's potential, potential are. You, you have so much unbelief that you can only see how messed up they are. But as you begin to see people as Jesus sees them, the identity that he provides for every human being, the new creation that 2 Corinthians 5 talks about, that may not be anywhere near the point of maturity. Do you know what I mean? They may not even be born yet, and yet you see what they can be. And you are nurturing that Holy Spirit gestation that's going on you know what I mean. That will bring them to birth. But then when they're born, what are they? They're babes. And yet you can see in a babe what Sharon was saying you could see in an oak, right? You can see something mature. It's there. Not by physical sight, but by the eye of faith. And there's the picture that we have been given. So, just as he is life, then we become an agent of life, of nurture, of growth. That's our identity too. It's hard to talk about identity without talking about purpose, right? You, you go right into it. As Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, so he said, when he left, I'm going to send you someone in my place. Who is it? It's the spirit of the truth. And where, what's the spirit going to do? He's going to guide you into all the truth because you don't know what the truth is. Um, you're not going to see me anymore and I, I won't be around to show you what the truth is because that was Jesus' mission. He was, he was born to bear witness to the truth. I'm not, he's leaving, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit is going to do what? He's going to guide us into all the truth. Here's what unselfish love looks like in relating to this individual. Here's what it looks like in this situation of life. Here's what it looks like in this teaching of the Bible. Because we can go with the Bible and use it as a point of pride rather than unselfish love. And so he's going to lead us into what is true about the teachings of the Bible. We tend to think the truth is all about doctrine when it includes it. But it's much, much bigger than that, much deeper than that. He's the anointed one. Did you know you and I have been anointed? We talked about that in Luke chapter 4 where the Spirit gives us the same mission he gave to Jesus. There's some other passages there that are beautiful. Um, 2 Corinthians 1. Jesus as our salvation. If you want to look at some amazing themes, look at Revelation, the songs in Revelation. What are they singing about in Revelation? Are they singing about their victory? 
They're singing about his salvation. Salvation to our God. It's all about what he has done for us, right? The songs of victory will not be about my overcoming, but about his salvation. And of course, your overcoming is going to bear witness to that as well. God with us. Romans 8, if God be for us, who shall be against us, right? He that spared not his own son. That will be our testimony. That will be our identity as well. And also, well, we mentioned this. Revelation, he's going to make us kings and priests. We're going to have the ability to have responsibility. Responsibility means the ability to respond. Right? But how do, we, how do, you, how do you respond? That's the, that's the key question. When you're in charge, you have to constantly respond. Because there's constant needs for guidance, for correction, for how do you respond? How do you have the ability to respond? You see how he's done it, right? That's the picture. And then the picture of him being the lamb. There's a lot of 316s in the Bible that are important. 1 John 3.16 is real important. And I thought of this one when I was pondering this. <clears throat> Hereby perceive we the love of God because he did what? He laid down his life for us. There's his identity, his purpose for coming here. And John doesn't stop. He just keeps right going. What does he say? And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. There's our identity to be also giving, giving, giving for others in the same way. Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you which was in Christ. Where does he go with that? Is this just something that Jesus did? No, it's just something to be in us as well, right? Let this be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. He un unveils the gospel there of how, how the love of God took Christ down to the, to the depths of the abyss, even the death of the cross. And then he says, God's going to be doing something in you. He's going to be working in you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Can you also be obedient unto death? Well, the picture of the overcomers in Revelation clearly revealed that to us. We've already talked about this, uh, the light and the bread. Um, you are the light of the world. Let your light so shine. Peter caught it finally. He learned the lessons that he needed to learn. <clears throat> Rather than cutting off ears, he was helping people to grow. And you don't help people to grow by cutting off their ears. Um, and he's saying to his readers in his epistle, beautiful passage there, First uh, Peter 5. Uh, remember Jesus commissioned to Peter at the very end of the epistle of John, the gospel of John. As Peter confirmed his lack of knowledge of himself, in fact, 
Jesus said, do you really love me more than these? Because that's what Peter said. If all men can forsake you, I won't do it. And Jesus asked him, do you really love me more than these? And what did, what did, what did Peter defer to? He deferred to Jesus' knowledge. You know all things. You knew me when I didn't know myself. You know all things. You know that I, I have affection for you. He was unable to even say that I, he had that unselfish love. <coughs> Excuse me. At the end of his first letter, 1 Peter 5, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God. There's a shepherd which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for monetary gain, but of a ready mind. Neither as, lords, uh, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Uh, when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away, uh, because you are an under-shepherd, right? He's the, he's, the, he's the shepherd, but he's given to every one of us to, to be that to others who we can influence and be a blessing in the same way. That can be our identity. Romans 5, we talked about the two Adams. We, are, have, we have our identity as a choice. We actually have two identities because we have two fathers. And I don't know whether you've realized it, but as you fight the fight of faith, it's a fight over those two identities. That which is born of the flesh, Jesus told Nicodemus, is flesh. That's all you get from the first Adam and Eve. You can trace it right back. And that's why you must be born again. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so we're, we're fighting this identity battle day in and day out. Who am I? Whose am I? Who's really my father? And the fight of faith alone will give us the victory. So that is our identity because of his identity. And in our final study, we'll be considering the, the thought, what does that do in terms of giving us purpose? If we haven't already seen it, we'll ponder a little more on those thoughts, the purpose that that gives us because of who he is. May God bless us with these words.